as hell and I wanna get ill So I go to a place where my homeboys chill Fellas out there trying to make that dollar I pulled up in Alright everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Bored as Hell podcast I'm Adam McDonald with Big Shiny Robot and I am Andy Wilson, also a big shiny robot. And this week uh, we've got we've got a couple things for you. Um, I was busy with work and Sundance, so I'm going to finish up with uh, three other films that I saw this week. And Andy's going to handle. He did the grunt work and actually went yeah. and saw the movie they did put out. I think everyone was kind of scared of what was happening up here in Park City. Uh, so Andy, what, I know you saw The Dog's Purpose. Yeah. Uh, what were the other ones you saw? I also saw Gold, and that's where we're going to start. This is a movie from the Weinstein Company, a supposed prestige Oscar picture that was actually released in a very small amount in December so it could qualify for the Oscars. Don't ask me why, because this is a boring and predictable <laughs> trite movie uh, starring Matthew McConaughey as a... Uh, he's, he's the grandson of a prospector who who scrabbled uh, all the gold he could out of the side of a mountain in in Nevada, and, and now he's just trying to do good on, on his family's promise to the world. And so he and a controversial geologist go looking for gold in the jungles of Indonesia. This is inspired by true events, which means that it has about as much to do with reality as quote-unquote alternative facts. But uh, there, I guess there was a case in the 1980s where uh, there, there was this supposed big gold strike and the whole thing went to hell. Uh, of course, the, the story is told uh, with Matthew McConaughey talking to an FBI agent uh, played by Toby Kebbell in flashback, which is very hackneyed and also makes it very predictable of exactly what's going to happen here. Even uh, attempts to humanize this movie with Bryce Dallas Howard as Matthew McConaughey's girlfriend. No, and we like her. And we do like her. Uh, and I also like Corey Stoll, and uh, he is a Wall Street type here who is who keeps trying to undermine um, Matthew McConaughey and horn in on his business. He's very good, but this, this movie just can't escape the fact that it is boring. Uh, it's just over two hours. And it is at least 30, 40 minutes too long. And, and really, in, in the age of, the, of movies like Wolf of Wall Street and The Big Short, which are more uh, cognizant of you know, the, the effects of uh, economic imperialism, uh, the, this movie has no social conscience whatsoever. Just because it's set in the 80s doesn't mean your movie can still be a douchebag. Three out of ten. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so just not very good. Uh, then let, let's talk about A Dog's Purpose. Um, so this is the one that it, it looked like it was like, – okay, just for me, from what I saw, just the TV spots, it was like they're just to twist your emotions to get a rise out of you or get it a, a, get it a, a, a reaction out of you as far as, you know, like, oh, it's a dog, this and that, blah, blah, blah. And oh, then yeah. that video came out that – oh, emotionally manipulative is the word I'm looking for is the saying. Yep, um, yep. And then, of course, that video with the, the poor dog and the, the water came out, so – Am I kind of right with what I'm thinking about this movie? Yeah, I have not seen a more emotionally manipulative movie in a very long time. Uh, what's funny, though, is that doesn't necessarily make it bad. So before I start, let's divorce ourselves from the controversy for two seconds, and then we'll come back to it. Let's talk about the movie as it is, 
as if this controversy had not existed. This movie is incredibly emotionally manipulative. If you love dogs, you will go in and you will be like, oh, all the feels. This is so amazing. The major problem with this movie is that you, you have your dog and it goes through several lives uh, and the dog keeps getting resurrected, uh, reincarnated in in different iterations and in different decades. So uh, there's this very nice one in the in the 50s and 60s where he's he's growing up with this kid uh, and then uh, and then he's a police dog in the 70s. And then uh, he's he's a corgi with this with this nice little suburban family, and uh, then he comes back, and he goes and finds his old owner who's all grown up from when he was, uh, uh, you know, back in the fifties and sixties, and helps set his old owner's life right. So, yeah, it's very it is incredibly emotionally manipulative, and and Dennis Quaid is the guy at the end who who had his dog. The, the real problem with this all is how much crap gets thrown at this poor dog during its whole life. Yeah, there's a lot of, like, nice hearth and home and fun things, but there's an undertone of abuse and violence towards animals that is really terrible. And beyond just being emotionally manipulative... Uh, I, I think is not tolerable and you you couple that with this controversy where you have this animal handler who is mistreating uh, this German shepherd dog who's performing one of these stunts and and the dog on video it's um, they're trying to force it into a pool and the dog's head later on while performing this stunt goes under the water and um, none of that is okay and we should mm-hmm. not apologize for any of that. Uh, I'm not going to engage in apologism for any of that. In fact, I will say, in an era when we can create Rocket Raccoon, why we don't have digital dogs to do stunt work like this is beyond me. Uh, we we really need to, to change this up. But there there's this undertone in here that what is a dog's purpose? A lot of it is to suffer. I mean, just within the first 10 minutes of the movie, the dog in its first life is caught by a dog catcher and euthanized. And five, not five minutes later, it's in the, a hot car and almost dies. There are elements of all sorts of mistreatment toward animals all throughout this movie, and it's just terrible. And so I, I think... It's something to think about. Like, you know, if, if you love dogs, you're both going to love and hate this movie. But it is going to bring a smile to your face and it is going to make you cry. That being said, it's it's not all bad. And, and there are some actual very good parts. As I said, you know, the life that he spends with this suburban family as a corgi is all beautiful and all cute. If the rest of the movie had just been like that... I would have been completely on board with this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is so predictable and it is so trite and it is so manipulative that I have to knock a bunch of points off of it for that. So I'm ending up at a 6 out of 10. This isn't a, a terrible movie, 
but it's it's just only slightly beyond mediocre because I feel that they really missed the point. Oh, and also, this movie had five writers. Five Are you writers. Serious? Five writers. And it shows because it is all over the place. Uh, this <laughs> this movie needed to be far more focused, far more cogent, and um, I can forgive it its schmaltz and its emotional manipulations because it's a movie about a dog and it is emotionally manipulative and trite in all the ways that any good Christmas special or any good movie about a dog should be. Yeah, I was going to say, so, that's kind of what it sounds like. It's like your after-school Christmas special. Yeah, that, that's that's basically what it is. Um, and, and so there's good elements, there's bad elements, and I, I think what we should come away from this with is having a real conversation about the treatment of animals in Hollywood and uh, and the treatment of animals in, in America and in our own homes because there's just a lot of crap that... Um, these poor dogs, both fictionally and in reality, go through. And maybe it's time to cut some of that out. So, that's uh, if if this serves to create that conversation, good for it. But other than that, it's just it's just kind of meh. Yeah. Well, I think I think we all kind of got that feeling. And again, like we said, we when we do this, we want to divorce ourselves from the you know what happened with the dog earlier but i think we kind of saw the warning signs when that broke because it was kind of like yeah exactly so i i think and and any movie that is so dependent on its dogs as leads should know better and how they could tolerate this for even a second i just i don't understand it and i i understand oh it was the second unit and you know the the actual director and producers weren't there for this, and and but it's just studios need to start thinking about this in terms of risk management, because what ended up being ten seconds in the movie uh, probably took away eh, most of its box office, all of its box office. I yeah. mean, I just it's it's awful so instead of employing dog trainers to go out and and put dogs in danger and do anything other than you know fetching and and chasing its tail create some some digital animals and and people will be okay with it they yeah. they look good on screen we can we can do this cool all right well so again those were it was a pretty slow week at the movies just like I said before, yep. Sundance is going on, and everyone's still trying to you know, hype up their their Oscar their movies that just got nominated. So, uh, the final three movies I'm going to quickly go over were uh, three guys saw at Sundance this week. Uh, the nice thing is that you know, like I said before, when you go to, go to Sundance, you never know what you're going to get into. You get a little brochure. It's got a one paragraph summary, and nine times out of ten, it's they leave out big parts of what the movie's about. So you know, we, we don't have trailers, we don't have word of mouth, we just have, hey, this is showing for the first time, go see it. Unfortunately, it ends up that a lot of crap kind of seeps through, and you end up with movies that are pretty bad. Uh, thankfully, this year though, there, there were a couple movies that were just okay. I'm actually going to talk about two of them here, and that was kind of a change for me. So that was a really refreshing Sundance to where. 
I didn't walk out of a movie like hating myself or hating the movie. But that said, there were some that were just mediocre, and this one right here is actually the kind of the one that hurts me the most to say it. Uh, it is called XX or Double X. I don't know how they're saying it. Uh, this is a horror anthology, much like the VHS movies. Uh, so it's uh, four horror shorts, 80 minutes long, very quick, really nice. The cool thing is, is that this was fully written and directed by females. Uh, the main characters are women, and it was really refreshing to see a different take on horror from the viewpoint of woman as compared to a man. Uh, and these are these aren't just random people. I mean, the directors you had uh, Karen Kusama, who directed uh, Jennifer's Body and Girl Fight. You had Mary, Mary Heron, who was known for doing American Psycho, uh, and then we also got uh, the directorial debut of St. Vincent, the singer, so that was kind of fun. Uh, so yeah, four different stories, all in, independent, have nothing to do with each other. Uh, the first one is called The Box. It's about a mom trying to figure out, uh, after her son looks in this guy's box, there's like a present he has wrapped up in the subway, uh, stops eating and starts to lose weight. Uh, tells his sister what was in the box, and she does the same thing, and so she's kind of going crazy, trying to figure out what's happening. Uh, the second one is called, I think it's The Birthday Cake, and it's about a mom who is trying to give a birthday party for her daughter, or adopted daughter, and finds out that her husband died, and is trying to hide the body. So it's kind of like a murder, not like a murder, but a, a funny kind of horror spoof. The third one, which was the best one, was called Don't Fall. Uh, a bunch of friends go out camping, they come across some, uh, like a cave painting on the side of a rock, and one of them turns into this werewolf creature and starts stalking everyone. And the last one was called Her uh, Beloved Son, or Her Only Beloved Son. Uh, it's a mom who's been hiding from someone with her kid ever since they were little. They've been on the run. Her son turns 18, and you find out maybe her husband or the guy who she slept with to get have this kid may have made a pact with the devil, and maybe the Antichrist is coming forth. Who knows? All really interesting ideas, and I will give them huge credit for the fact that it's beautifully shot. Uh, it's very well directed. In between each story, there are these really creepy stop-motion dolls and dollhouse things that are like eating flies, and ugh, just gives you gives you the chills. The problem is, with the exception of Don't Fall, none of the stories really go anywhere, and it kind of seems like they got to the end of their story or their. 20 minutes and like ah, oh, we don't know what to do so let's just end it yeah uh in fact the the box the, there was a perfect ending that actually they went on for another five ten minutes or i would say five minutes uh instead of where it should have ended and if it would have ended there it would have been amazing i would have been yes that's perfect but then they had to say oh it was a dream haha uh, come on the dream trope we've been using for millennia so let's not do that anymore but again, I do I do applaud this. This is great to see female directors and writers doing this and putting their own mark on horror. So I do think that's awesome. However, there are just too many misses for me to fully recommend this. It is coming out on Video On Demand uh, next month. Magnet has already bought it. So I think it's kind of a cool thing. But again, there's only one story worth watching. Uh, so I'm at a 5 out of 10 on this. So it's not bad, but it's just... It could have used some tidying up in some places. The other one, which actually was kind of my... I would say my most disappointing movie of Sundance because the premise was so cool uh, was The Discovery. So The Discovery stars a uh, Robert Redford and Jason Siegel. Robert Redford is a researcher and it, the movie opens where he's being interviewed and six months previous to this he has proven scientifically beyond any shadow of doubt that there is indeed an afterlife. So we know when you die some part of you goes somewhere else. 
So Andy, what do you think would be uh, an unforeseen side effect of finding out, hey, there's a life after this? Uh, we found out that NBC's The Good Place was actually a documentary. <laughs> Actually, that's kind of what the movie's about. Uh, no, uh, suicide skyrockets because people are like, oh, well, this life sucks. I want to go to the next yeah. one. Yeah. So uh, in the beginning, he's being interviewed and the, the lady talking to him was like, well, don't you feel responsible for these spike in suicides? And he's like, no, I, I made this discovery. I'm not responsible for what people do. And right in the middle of talking to it, the camera guy walks on screen and says, hey, Dr. So-and-so, I love your work and blows his brain off, brains out on live TV. So skip ahead wow. a year and a half later, uh, Jason Siegel is returning uh, back to his father's home to kind of reconnect with him. See, when Jason Siegel was, uh, he plays, his character's name is just Will. Uh, when he was a kid, he died and was brought back to life on the operating table. And he, when he came to, he had these visions of something happening in a different world. He saw a beach, he saw someone calling out a kid's name. And that was what spurred his father on to to make this discovery and he since kind of turned his back on it because he feels responsible for what's happened meanwhile he meets up with his father and finds out that he is now taking the next step to try to find out what happens after you die what is this world and what's going on and uh, basically builds this giant machine to take people or a cadaver you know or a person down to the point of death record what happens and bring them back to life it's a really cool concept uh it, it's it's a great conceit, and it's done very, very well. Uh, Rooney Mara is in it. Is Isla? She uh, is stopped at the very beginning of the movie from killing herself by Jason Siegel. He kind of runs into her on the boat. Uh, it's got some cool ideas, like you know, if you go to a hospital, they'll have a sign up that says X number of people have died from heart disease this year. And it's a little count that's like counting up. So I was like, hey, we can prevent this. Everywhere you go, there's signs like in the hospitals and on the boat. We have lost X number of people to suicide since the discovery. If you need help, please call this number. And it's constantly ticking up. I think it's like up to like four million at this point in time. The problem here is that the movie—it's about a two-hour movie—and they stretch everything out and then explain everything, just dump exposition on you in the last 20 minutes. If they would have spread that out and actually made some of the characters more interesting, like Jason Siegel, it's rare for him to do a more dramatic role. You really can't connect with him. Yeah, it's he's just kind of there mumbling and you know being very sad the whole time. So yeah, it's a great idea. Just unfortunately, they decide to explain, 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 explain in the very end, and it just it doesn't have the impact it could have. So again, I'm at a five with this one, but it is a really cool idea. And if you're into that kind of thing, I mean, I think you'll at least have fun with that. Sounds cool. But the big winner was the big winner was the Yellow Bird. So this was the last thing I saw at Sundance. Uh, it is based on the book The Yellow Birds by Kevin Powers. He is a uh, he's a war veteran. Uh, so it stars Ty Sheridan, Jack Houston, Alden Ehrenreich, uh, Jennifer Aniston actually, who I didn't know was in it. She produced it, uh, and Tony Collette, who's making up for her role as Kellyanne Conway in the last Triple X movie. So it's Alden Ehrenreich is John Bartle. He's a 20 year old Marine. He teams up with Ty Sheridan, who's playing Daniel Murphy in, in boot camp, and they are shipped off to the second Iraq War. And while they're over there, they're put in a war zone. They're, they might have accidentally killed a bunch of innocent civilians because they thought there was a IED and a car coming at them. And so these horrible things start happening, and they kind of they begin to bond more and more and more. Aaron Wright's character, he just joined the Marines because, hey, it was something to do. I'm kind of aimless in life. Whereas Ty Sheridan, his dad was in the Marines. His grandfather was in the Marines. So this is kind of like a step for him to begin his life, even though he doesn't really fit in there. He's not really the type of person that... Uh, would would serve in the Marines. Well, 
after a while, everyone eventually comes home, but there's a problem. Uh, something happened, and we don't know what it is, but Ty Sheridan's character was presumed missing, and is now no longer, and they don't know where he is, what happened to him. So, his mom, who's played by Jennifer Aniston, she's freaked out because two weeks after he went missing, she got a letter from him that was dated after he was apparently gone. So she's trying to chase down the military to find out what happened. Meanwhile, all the Ehrenreichs come back and is just absolutely consumed with PTSD and everything that happened over there. And I think this is one of the first movies that really shows PTSD for what it is. I mean, when he comes home, all he wants to do is sleep. He yells at his mom, who's played by Tony Collette, who, again, is fantastic, and you know, breaks walls, goes out drinking, uh, just acts very radically, tries to kill himself. Uh, and it's all carried so well because everyone who's worried about how Aaron Reich's going to do as our new Han Solo <laughs> don't. I mean, we saw him last year in Hail Caesar, which I know, Andy, that was one of your favorite films last year. Yeah. Uh, we saw more of his comedic side. I mean, here you get his very, very strong dramatic acting. Uh, in many parts, he almost, the way he looks and broods, it's almost like seeing a young Joel Edgerton on screen. Uh, he just kind of has that look about him that just nails that. And it's it's absolutely fantastic. The acting is incredible. I mean, Ty Sheridan, he was fun in X-Men Apocalypse and in uh, Scout's Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse. But again, here he can prove he can act. And the kid's only 19, so he's playing a character pretty much his own age. Uh, and that's that's pretty incredible that he can pull this off with such a great director. Uh, speaking of which, the director is a French uh, guy, Alexander Moores. Uh, he's done some stuff before. But the really great thing with this, he has a great eye for making things uh, very beautiful. And the way he films is almost kind of like we're spying on people. It's almost voyeuristic in the sense that maybe you're watching a documentary unfold instead of an actual story. Like when uh, Alden Aaron Wright goes into a, a liquor store, for instance, to go buy some beer, he kind of has the camera peer around a corner to watch him. So you're kind of peeking in instead of, and getting a glimpse of this person's life instead of you know, watching a movie. So it's, it's very well done, very well acted. Uh, it doesn't hesitate to show the horror of war and show... You know, people getting shot, but at the same time, it's not glorifying it. I mean, if this was a Michael Bay movie, the explosions and people getting shot would be followed by five minutes of slow-mo. Um, in this one, it's tragic. Uh, it, it really does paint an honest picture of what happened over there uh, and reminds us that we've got all these, you know, these essentially boys coming back who are barely men and these young women who are coming back who, you know, who are scarred and we need to take care of them and make sure that they get the help they need. Uh, the, the one problem I have is the whole premise of the movie is kind of solving the mystery of what happened to Ty Sheridan's character. Uh, the movie does jump around a lot. It's told in four parts, but it has flashbacks and flash-forwards and flashbacks within flashbacks. It's not hard to follow, but at the same time, what it is finally revealed, what happened, it, it is horrific, and it's something that was I didn't want to really see. But at the same time, it didn't seem like it needed to be the central conceit for the whole movie. They should have focused more on, like I said, maybe the PTSD part. I mean, you know, that is a big part, or but make it the main part. Um, but yeah, I know it's really, really good. I, I was on a high when I saw it and thought it was always the best thing at Sundance. I'm still thinking it's up there, but now that I've thought about the ending more and kind of where everything went, I kind of have to knock it down a little bit. So I'm at an 8.5, uh, but it is really, really good. This is one of the few that hasn't gotten picked up yet. I hope it does, because this is something that I think everyone should see, and it's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, and maybe something we should all watch before we're like, yay, let's go to war with China. <laughs> yeah, right? 
Yeah. But no, the, the, the acting is, oh, and I, I forgot, uh, Tom Houston is their, the sergeant who's kind of in charge of, charge of their group. And the movie does a really cool job of, when well, they're doing some of the flash forwards and flashbacks, throwing some red herrings out to make you think you figured out where the story's going, uh, as far as the mystery surrounding Ty Sheridan. Uh, but you don't. So that's kind of fun. I, I got to the end, and you know, when it's finally revealed, like, oh, that's obviously that's what happened. But you weren't. You were led down a different path, and that doesn't happen for a while. So, uh, but really good though. And if you want to see our young Han Solo in action, um, we can see he can do funny. The shows he can do serious in action. So I think we're, I think we're set for next year. That's great. Excited. It, I, I mean, I'm always excited, even when the movies are kind of mediocre. Uh, Alden Ironreich is someone who I enjoy watching. Cool. Well, that's it for this week. Again, we got a, a Sundance wrap up, and we got two movies. Meh, that were okay. Um, next week, it's kind of a slow week. We've got The Space Between Us, which is the movie with uh, Aza Butterfield, who about the kid born on Mars who comes to Earth and wackiness ensues. And then we've got, is it Rings? Is this what this one's called? Rings. rings? Yeah. Multiple Yeah, which rings. is the, the third Ring movie uh, based on the horror series and the Japanese horror movie, uh, which, strangely enough, they're not screening for us. So mm. Andy and I are going to try to sneak out and see if we can get to it uh, because... I'm sure it's going to be a winner if they're that scared of it. So that'll be coming up next week. Uh, but until then, hail Satan and have a lovely afternoon. Punk ass tripping, but it's alright. Homie scored a key, he's gonna fly. Punk ass fly.